Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Saki. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. As we are sheltering in place, I'm actually broadcasting from home as Mayor Mitch is working back at the studio. And as we like to do, we like to test the boundaries of technology on this show. <laughs> uh, we're going to try an interview. Uh, we got John Saltonstall oh, from England. And uh, he just came out with a, a fantastic new book called Nicky Lotta, His Competition Story. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, Steve. Thanks very much for talking to me. It's uh, it's great for you having me on. Thank you. I certainly appreciate you joining the show. And uh, it, Nikki Lada is is a, just a fantastic, one of the most interesting stories. And uh, you look back at, of course, you know they, they they made a movie on him, and and you look at what you know the nineteen seventy six season, and then the, the 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 world championships around that. And uh, what 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 kind of brought you into this? Uh, what why, why, why a Nicky Lauda book at this time? Uh, well, I guess that's two questions. Why, why, why Nicky? Um, he was kind of my childhood hero. Um, I'd started following his uh, career from about 1973, just before he went to Ferrari, um, when he was doing things with the BRM in uh, Formula One that he that he shouldn't really have been doing with a car that wasn't particularly good. Um, at the end of uh, at the end of 1973, he went to Ferrari. I had an uncle who. Um, he used to run a, a magazine distribution business, and um, uh, when magazines were damaged or returned, and he used to send them back to the publishers, the, the criteria for it being damaged was that he just used to send back the torn covers. So, of course, what he used to do was rip the covers off a magazine called Autosport, um, and he'd, uh, he'd give me the inside part, and uh, I got the chance to, uh, to read a lot about uh, Formula One from a rel- relatively early age. Um, and I remember opening a copy of this magazine in early 1974, and there was a photo of, uh, of Nicky in the uh, 312B3 Ferrari. And I just remember thinking it was the, the most beautiful car I'd ever seen in my life. Um, and coupled with the fact that this guy who I'd just become aware of, who was who I was interested in, was driving it, that was that was kind of it. So I was always a louder fan, right from right from the sort of get go, really, as far as uh, as far as my interest in Formula One was concerned. Um, why uh, why the timing um it was kind of coincidental i'd been i'd been working on the project i've been writing the book for about nine years uh researching it and writing it because uh, it came out the back of me uh building little 143rd scale replica models of everything that he'd ever raced and i'd collected a whole pile of photographs in the process of doing this 
Um, and I thought that there's probably a book in here and I wanted to do something that was a little bit different. So um, I'd taken a cue from a, a book about Sterling Moss called My Cars, My Career that was done a few years back, which sort of was um, looking at all the individual cars that, uh, that Sterling had raced and how he got on with them. And I tried to adopt a different approach with the uh, with with this one. Just say, well, if I've got a photo of every car in every race, let's try and write a report of what happened in every race for the whole of his career, for everything that he's ever done. Um, and that took an awful lot of time to pull together, as you can imagine. Um, and I just about got it finished when uh, when bless him, Nicky uh, Nicky died in uh, May last year. Uh, and at that point, I got a manuscript and a whole load of unlicensed photographs and, uh, uh, and no publisher. Um, but I, I had a conversation with, uh, with, with Mark Hughes, who was the editorial director at Evro. Um, and we had a couple of conversations about it. And it was about a week after that that we signed the contract. And um, six months later, out comes the book. So, uh, yeah, it all turned around very quickly once it started to happen. Yeah, uh, David Hobbs um, is a regular on the show, and he he told me a story uh, a few years ago, which I did not know. Uh, he was walking um, when he was doing uh, American TV in, in Formula One. They were at the United States Grand Prix, and he's he's with his cohorts, and Nikki came up to him and, and said, Oh, David, David, and they started to chat, and they were kind of taken away. Here's Nikki Lauder talking with David Hobbs. And David told him the story that uh, when he was kind of at a crossroads in his career, Nikki uh, came up to David and was wondering, asking about Formula 5000, because at that time, uh, David was one of the top drivers in Formula 5000. And, and David said, No. Go to stay in Formula One, keep digging. You have the talent, you'll be able to do it. And he did that. And he always thanked David for 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 kind of telling them to you know keep stay with it, and eventually you'll you'll get there. And uh, just maybe this is kind of a little bit off the beaten path here, John. Um, but for for somebody like Nikki, who and in, in those days in the early seventies, which is such an interesting time in Formula One with the amount of teams that that were out there. It, it you know drivers could kind of have different way more more routes I guess I should say to the top of Formula One than they do today don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there, there seems to be a very uh, linear path to Formula One these days. You know, they they they, they start in karting as soon almost like as soon as they're out of nappies and um, then then very quickly progress to a uh, through through a quite well-defined route to get to Formula One and certainly back in the 60s and, and, and early 70s it wasn't anything like that. Um, Nicky's route to Formula One was um, unusual. Um, he'd, uh, he started hill climbing in, uh, in in Austria then was racing on airfields and then race, started racing in Formula V which of course is a an American institution um and had been imported into europe in the uh in the late uh, in the late 60s uh and he was uh, he he was racing for one of the better formula v teams which was kind of um, how he started to really make a mark when he was over there 
but when he moved up into the into Formula Three, he'd um, he was racing for a team called McNamara, um, an American chap called Francis McNamara, who had uh, who had been a GI stationed in Europe and had ended up building um, building Formula Three cars. And as you'll you'll be aware, uh, a, a not not wholly successful IndyCar project, um, and. Um, there was a lot of hype around McNamara at the time and Nicky and his friend Gerald Pankel thought it'd be a good idea if they got hold of a couple of McNamara chassis and tried it out in Formula 3. Um, unfortunately, the car was uh, far from competitive and Nicky sort of had a pretty disastrous half season crashing his way through, uh, through, through Formula 3 races in Europe. And he got out of that and ended up racing in, um, in Interseri, which was a sort of some leftover Can-Am cars and, and European two and three litre sports cars that were hawking the way around Europe and did that with, um, you know, a bit, bit more of a showing, um, but then bought his way into, into a formula two seat. He was, he was one of the first of what we'd think of as pay drivers who'd, um, you know, sort of bought their way into it rather than being sort of picked up purely on talent. Um, but once he got um, once he he got his um, backside in a Formula Two car, he um, he started to show quite quickly that he that he actually had some talent, and it was it was that that really uh, enabled him to progress from there. We're talking with uh, John uh, Saltonstall, who's the author of uh, the book Nicky Lauda: His Competition's uh, History, which is avail- available through Evero Publishing. That's E V R O Publishing, and you can go to EveroPublishing.com. And uh, Nicky Lauda is always one of my favorites, and the 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 one thing that really kind of cemented his legacy for me was his comeback with McLaren in the 1984 championship can you kind of walk us through uh, that real quick yeah i mean it, it, it's his whole comeback from um there the, the, there's this kind of two phases to it on there there's, there was the comeback from the shunt which was the thing that put him in the public perception of this guy who'd survived a fire accident in 1976 that he had no no right to survive and come back and won a championship from that walked away from the sport in 79 but when he came back to the sport in 1982 what you've got to remember is that the sport he was coming back to was very different from the one he left in 1979 um ground effect had really been optimized at, at that point and the cars were um very limited suspensions rock hard um, almost like a you know a, a rocket powered roller skate really with um you know so quite some quite powerful uh, engines but nothing in the way of um, of suspension travel so requiring an entirely different um driving technique but not only did he 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 come back and tackle it um, um you know and master those cars he he obviously won his third race back at long beach and um, and then as you say went on to the to the championship in 84 i think he was by then his his whole approach to the sport had changed he'd in the first half of his career up to his first retirement he'd he'd been you know one of the quickest guys out there and natural ability and talent was enough to see him through he'd um He'd been uh, teamed with John Watson at, uh, at Brabham in 1978, and when he rejoined McLaren in '82, he was teamed again with Watty, and they uh, they got on really well. And um, Nicky was always comfortable that uh, you know on his day he could beat uh, Watty. Uh, there were a couple of occasions when uh, when John got the advantage, but most of the time Nicky had the upper hand. 
Um, and John had had quite a good season in 1983. Um but because of that, he was holding out for a bit of a better salary off Ron Dennis, who uh, who owned the McLaren team. And at the back end of 1983, um, Alain Prost, who'd been uh, driving for the Renault team, very publicly criticised uh, Renault um, for their lack of reliability and um, organisation um, and basically said that they'd cost him the championship. And as a result of that, Prost was sacked right at the end of the 1983 season by Renault. So Ron Dennis is suddenly holding all the cards because he's got the opportunity to buck, to, to pick up a proven race winner who'd been a contender for the championship in 83 for, you know, a bargain basement price. Um, and poor old John, who'd been holding out for, uh, for a few more quid, gets uh, shown the door. Um, and everything that has suddenly changed then for Nicky, you know, who's, who was fairly well ensconced at McLaren at this point and had been doing most of the development testing work on the... Uh, on the uh, on the tag turbo engine, uh, which was the um, you know the the Porsche built made to measure tailor tailor designed um, engine that McLaren had got on order for uh, for 1984. So Nicky had been doing all this development work and putting all his efforts into getting a great car ready for the next year, and lo and behold, he suddenly finds himself teamed with this absolute hot shoe in the form of um, Alain Prost. And it didn't take many weeks of the winter testing season for Nicky to realise that uh, that Prost was just simply faster than him, you know, at this point in his career. Um, but Nicky was nobody's fool. And he, he realised then that if he couldn't beat Prost on pace and couldn't out-qualify him, what he could do is he could beat him on racecraft. So he would spend um, practice and qualifying, getting his car set up in the best possible uh, shape for the race, um, let Alan go out and win the pole and you know be be the, be the quick guy, but generally when uh, when it came down to race day, Nicky would uh, Nicky would prevail. Um, Prost had a few reliability issues that year as well, but so when it got to the end of the season, um, Alain has won um, seven races and Nicky's won five, but uh, squeaks the championship by uh, half a point uh, through uh, through skill and guile and racecraft, I guess. Amazing, you know. If you look, and you know, for and, and and you look at his results, you know, he basically either finished first or second. Uh, there's yeah. a fourth in there, but or or then you know, because those cars were, you know, were so powerful, and with the turbos and that, the turbos were really starting to come in, and so reliability was a kind of a factor through with with all all the cars at that time, because it was you know. Early on in in the development of the turbo, uh, in Formula One, but yeah, it was it was quite quite a wild time uh, in Formula One back then. And yes, I I totally agree with that. For for Nicky to to win that championship uh, from Milan Prost is is fascinating. Well, John, we certainly appreciate you taking out time. And uh, for those listening, it's John Saltonstall and his book uh, Nicky Lotta, his competition history. Fantastic book, very very interesting. And uh, John, we certainly appreciate you taking time out. Oh, and the the uh, the it is available on, on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Uh, where where else could can they get the book, John? 
Um, yeah, as the Evro Publishing, as you mentioned earlier on, the publisher's own website at uh, evro.publishing.com is the uh, is, is probably the first good place to look. But yeah, the usual the usual online sources through uh, through uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and uh, uh, but yeah, if you you know you t- you type the book title into a search engine, it'll throw you up a lot of online retailers. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's been an adventure. It certainly is. And uh, well, we certainly appreciate appreciate you taking time out. Is there anything in the future you're working on? Um, I'm in the early stage of sco- scoping another project for uh, for for the uh, for, for Evro. Um, we've kind of got an outline agreement on it, but it, it, it will probably be something similar in terms of its format and shape. Um, okay. Different different driver obviously um not really at, uh, at liberty to say who at the moment but I, I i get the feeling that people who like the nikki book will probably like this one as well okay very good looking forward to it well john thank you and uh, enjoy the rest of the evening uh, in uh, england yeah likewise and uh, stay safe guys eh? you know it's uh, an interesting world we're living in at the moment it certainly is uh, that was, that was uh, john uh, salterstall on the great midwest bank hotline has your passion outgrown your home? A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. Coming up next, we've got three questions with Larry Janicek next on the Final Inspection Show. Welcome back to the final inspection shows. Steve Sotke on 105.7 FM. The fan joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. It is Larry Janicek. Larry, welcome to the show, sir. Hello, Steve. Good to talk with you. It's nice to be on the uh, second half of the international uh, grouping (laughs) for the second week in a row. Last week, I followed David Hobbs. (laughs) That's good. I enjoy it. So. Next week, we'll work on Jackie Stewart for you. Oh, righty. Sounds great. No, I don't think that's going to happen. But anyways, (laughs) thanks for joining us. And this is uh, our our call-in segment. Uh, uh, We we used to take calls many, many, many years ago. We kind of gotten away from that. And after the show, I would chat with Larry, and Larry would always ask me great follow-up questions. I'm like... Larry, I gotta get you on the show. We need to do this on the air because his questions are usually so good. So, with that, Larry, what's your first question? Okay, about a week or so ago, NASCAR uh, squelched the new car, Cup car for next year. Do you think NASCAR will uh, delay their planned new schedule that they were supposed to have for next year? So that they would wait a year to give their current tracks a reprieve to help them recover from this year's losses or do you think they'll go ahead with that new schedule for next year for the cup series this is why we have you on the show that is an excellent question and i guess it would it all depends on how long this lasts uh because yeah this is i mean you're talking about like case in point pocono who only is basically a single weekend double race but a single weekend you know, they don't have anything else. They don't do anything else. This is all they do is NASCAR. They, they had an IndyCar race. But it, there, a lot of these tracks on the NASCAR schedule, uh, 
they're they're not like Road America. Road America has what is it like? They have like 400 events now. Not all of them are on track, but they're at the facility. And and sometimes during the week they'll have two or three events during the same day. One may be an on track, may one may be at a at a at a facility on the track, etc. So and there's it's a multi-use facility too. There's other things they can do like the go kart track and whatnot. So Road America. Is, is a track that has a lot of income coming in because they need they need that because they're constantly updating the facility and there's a lot of maintenance too that goes into a, a, a facility as large as uh, Road America. So you have like like Pocono, uh, Phoenix too. Phoenix is another one. They do the two two cup races now, but you know they do have some they they have more on track activities off. Uh, you know, off weekends and they do like Pocono, but they don't have an IndyCar race. They don't do the Copper World Classic anymore and some of that other stuff. So that's a very, very good question. Uh, and you wonder if the, the deeper, I would say this, the deeper this goes, the less likely it is. How's that? Sounds good. Uh, number two, I know there hasn't been any NASCAR races to really uh, you know, get a handle on it. But have you heard anything lately on how Ryan Newman's doing with his recovery? I have not. But um, initially there was a, a unconfirmed rumor that he had a brain bruise. And that was the main, uh, which if obviously when you look at the accident, uh, most likely something impacted the helmet uh, in order to cause that. Or, or the action-reaction situation caused the bone bruise, or brain bruise, I should say. And, and that's one of these things. The best thing for it is time. And every, every injury is different. And we've, we've seen that with football now, with them t- keeping a closer look at, at football, and how many previous injuries has he had. Now, this is a guy who raced dirt tracks. He raced midgets. And and champ and and uh, the silver crown cars and that he's taken a lot he's he's done a lot of racing in his life and he's with that he's also had a, quite a few accidents so how many previous concussions has he had you know and every everything is a, is a factor so the the best thing for him is is that taking that time off because we've seen that with football players and whatnot you know some some players can be back and you know once they get through the c- concussion protocol they're back. Others take longer, and part of the reason is how many previous concussions they had and whatnot. So it'll be interesting to see. This is the best thing for him right now, though. Yeah, and actually, he probably has caught a break with these races all being postponed or canceled because there's not the pressure on him to get back. Exactly. Okay, kiddo. Well, you know, this iRacing, e-racing has uh, really been a hot thing here for the last few weeks, and uh Today, the Indy cars are racing at one of my favorite places, Michigan International Speedway. And I'm wondering, do you know, is there any backstory to that race being done from their, uh, that, that track? Yeah. Uh, you know, that was really a haven for Indy car racing for a number of years. And the last IndyCar, true IndyCar race they had there was in uh, 2007. Mm-hmm. You know, Penske's got some connection still there because of the fact that he owned the place and everything. And I'm just kind of wondering if 
this is kind of a lead into possibly seeing MIS on the Indy's car schedule next year. It would not surprise me. And also, the other, it was interesting that the other race, the first race they had was at Watkins Glen, which is not currently on the schedule either. So, um, I would not surprise me if, if Michigan found its way on the schedule. I know there's been scuttle scuttlebutt talk behind the scenes about adding ovals and uh i think the one problem with milwaukee not being more in that is uh, that there's nobody there's not a entity that want that's willing to step up you know we there was some talk with you know many years ago with menard and and the jufri brothers get involved with and then there's been talk a couple years ago with the road america group maybe they would do a, a dual uh uh, promotion between two events between Milwaukee and Road America, and I know the the powers to be at 16th and Georgetown would like a local promotion group, somebody here in Wisconsin to do the promotion, uh, as opposed to what they did with Andretti Autosport and how they did it. Um, you know, so I, it would be interesting to see if Mich. It would not surprise me. Uh, especially when you want to, you want to keep the people, you know, Chevrolet happy, and and maybe if you're trying to bring in Ford, or whether it's Hyundai or whoever they want to bring in that that third manufacturer, if the, if if that helps them bring in a third manufacturer, and having a race at Michigan is one of the things that'll help. I definitely would would not surprise me to see uh, the Indy cars back at Michigan, especially after the the dropping of Pocono. And then uh, Fontana, I think they'd like to see another big track. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to get to go to a lot of uh, races at uh, Michigan, both cup races and the IndyCar races, and that place was fantastic. In fact, the last cart race race they had in 2001, they had 60 lead changes among 11 drivers. Was that with the Hanford device? I think that was, wasn't it? That's uh, the Hanford. That was with the Hanford device, I think. Oh, okay. The, the Hanford device. And I mean, was that, a, that was. Uh, yeah. They had some rocket speeds there. Right. And what that did was a, the Hanford device device was kind of, if you remember, at some of the cup cars, they had that little wick, big wicker bill on the roof. <laughs> the Hanford device was similar, where it was a huge kind of like a wicker bill on the rear wing, and what that did that opened up a nice pocket of air. So there's a lot of a lot of drafting and overtaking at tracks like uh fontana and uh, michigan so yeah very made for uh, for the for the fans it was very entertaining oh how about another one we're talking with larry janicek on the great midwest bank hotline we'll give you a bonus question with larry here all righty a couple of weeks ago kenny rogers passed away and i think a lot of people uh know that there was some involvement with kenny in uh sprint car racing through the Gambler Chassis Company that was named after the Gambler song that Kenny had by uh, mm-hmm. C.K. Spurlock, who was his uh, road manager and um, concert promoter. Well, uh, he was also had a small involvement in one of the biggest wins for Rick Hendrick in the Cup Series. you have any idea uh, what it was? Oh, my God, you stumped me. I'll probably, I might remember if you mention it, but I'm trying to think. Because the first win, 
for Hendrick, I think it was with Bodine at Martinsville, was it? Okay, you're, you're getting cl- you're you're on the money there. What yeah, was the Jeff- connection? Uh, then that was that five car, right? Was that Levi Garrett? Levi nope. Garrett car, or was it? It was uh, the year before Garrett. They they got Levi Garrett. It was the year before. It was the first year that that was called All Star Racing. Okay. All right. And it uh, was. Uh, let me give you a little hint here. All Star okay. Racing started prior to the '84 season. They, uh, and it was uh, Rick Hendrick. Harry Hyde, Raymond Beadle, and music entrepreneur C.K. Spurlock. Okay. All right. Where Kenny but Rogers that wasn't, comes in. Was that the uh, old Milwaukee car? No, that, no, it wasn't that. It has to do with the sponsorship. Hmm. You got me, Larry. You stumped, okay. you stumped me. Well... Uh, it was commonly known that if that they had a terrible start to the season, this new team, and if they didn't do something in Martinsville, they were going to close the doors immediately after that weekend. And also it was in March of 84, Jeff Bodine won the race at Martinsville. And uh, on the hood, the sponsorship on the hood was Gambler Chassis Company, which was C.K. Spurlock's sprint car chassis company, and he was a, uh, one of the four or five people involved in that all-star racing. And because they won, they made enough money to run more of the season. And then uh, that what they did uh, later on in that season, I believe they got two more wins with Bodine, and that got them the Levi Garrett sponsorship. And then that put them on uh, good sailing. Yeah. And as you know, the rest of the story is Rick Hendrick has won yeah. more cup races than – any other owner in that. So that was a pretty neat uh, tie-in with uh, Gambler Chassis on the hood. That is. And of course, uh, you we were, all you remember, were I was going to say, we all remember the old Open Wheel magazine, and there's a lot of, they, they got a lot of press in that magazine, that group. So. Yep. And you and I were both lucky enough to be at Knoxville last year when C.K. Spurlock was inducted into the Sprint Car Hall of Fame. That was pretty neat. That was a neat deal yep. and well-deserved. Um, Larry, well, we, we certainly appreciate you taking time out and joining the show and, uh, you get four stars for stumping me on that one. Oh, okay, so, man. Well, you, right. you have a great Easter weekend, Mitch, and all the contributors. All right. Thank you, Larry. And we'll talk with you next week. That was, uh, Larry Janison on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Has your passion outgrown your home? A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan. May give you the space it deserves. Visit GreatMidwestBank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. Coming up next, we'll talk with Jeff Orlowski, the Polish Pipe Bomb, and Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. Back to the final inspection show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway. Make sure to check out Great Lakes Dragway on Facebook and their website for all the latest updates when they're going to reopen. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is from RacingNation.com, Eddie Lapine from Florida. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey. 
Z-Man, what's hey. up? How's it hey, going? How you doing, Eddie? Good, good. Also joining Hello. us once again is the Polish Pipe. I'm Jeff Orlaski. Hello, boys. Hey. How are you doing? Hi, Beautiful Jeff. day you? in uh, Wisconsin today. How is it in uh, Florida, Eddie? Uh, it's 80s today. Uh, beautiful, as usual, at this time of the year. Yeah, and, uh, well, so have you been not, paying attention? Go ahead, Steve. Have um, you been paying attention to the iRacing? Yeah, um, yes, yes, I have. Uh, I, I tried to suffer through watching a couple of them. Uh, Michigan's on right now. It's been hard, struggling. I, I feel like Bubba Wallace right now. I, I wanted to turn it off. And uh, <laughs> he's, he's you saw what happened to him losing his sponsor uh, after he quit. It's just hard. Uh, I've done it. I've I've done the 919 simulator at the Porsche events, and I just I really struggle with it. It's definitely not. Uh, it doesn't do anything for me. It's been very difficult. Uh, this delay in the season. Uh, it just seems a month ago I was standing there interviewing Roger Penske. Well, it is harder than and now we're I mean, I will tell people me. that it is not as easy as just running a, a one of the games on Xbox or NASCAR Thunder or any of those games. Um, it, there is, it, it's, you can't just, you know, and I, I mentioned this in the first hour, you know, if, 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 if one of the drivers, current drivers isn't up on it, don't force them to be in it because I think it's going to cause more problems. You know, when we've seen this at Bristol with all the yellow flags and crashing, if a guy isn't up to it, like one of these kids, like a time Jeski or one of these other guys that has to have the experience and that has run the series, the, the iRacing series, that is, let them, you know, let them do it. Uh, Eddie, my, the, the, the question I was going to ask you, could the issue be the tracks? Would they be better racing maybe early on, like maybe like a Fontana or like with the IndyCars today racing at at, um, at Michigan, you know, a more wide open track where there's more room and maybe less chances to get yourself in trouble? Would that be a better uh, situation? I don't think so. I think. I think you hit it right on the head, Steve. I think you had a totally accurate uh, analogy of it because I think basically it's hard to compete against iRacing. I know PlayStation did it a few years ago where they gave the PlayStation winner an opportunity to drive a race car, and they couldn't do it. It's totally two different separate things, and the guys that are doing well in it, are well-accomplished racers, and they have hours and hours of those, uh, you know, seat time, I want to say, behind the computer of doing it. And it is, it's very difficult. You need a lot of patience, and it's, it's not just like, it, it's not like the impression that I got, and I have limited time doing it, is that, it's not the real feel or the seat time like of being in a race car and, and driving. It's a totally different thing, and it does take a lot of practice to get up to speed, and that's why you're seeing, uh, you know, 
people that don't, you know, I mean, the people that get a lot of seat time are doing well in it. The younger generation, I want to say. Uh, Eddie, do you, I don't think that uh, too much of a coincidence here that, uh, you know, me and Steve, when we were talking about iRacing in the, in the first hour, you know, we both said that it's, it's hard to get into. And now you have, uh, reiterated that fact on, uh, with, with your opinion as well. Do you find it amazing that three guys who are married, uh, <laughs> and obviously have lives, um, and don't have, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day to sit in front of video games like uh, some of these guys do, that we're not into it as much as uh, as some of these guys? Well, I think that's some of it. But, I mean, a lot of them, you know, they, you use it to learn a track, and that's how you get better in a car. And I think that's really the most appropriate way uh, to use it. To sit in front of a computer, I, I just, I just find it, it, it's boring. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, it, it, that's basically my. But on the other flip side of it, it's very popular with the youth, and you're seeing good numbers with people watching it. So I mean, our three of us talking about it, and not in the best way possible there's a lot of people out there that really like it and it's drawing and what i hope that it could maybe draw when racing does get back to racing hopefully soon hopefully it will draw some of those eye racing kids that are watching the racing to the tracks then and and maybe watching it on tv and i think you know with the formula one being a part of it I think that it, it could really, you know, help in that direction of motorsports down the road, future-wise. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, especially when it comes to NASCAR, you know, this the iRacing simulation is some of the only way that these young kids have to learn. They've taken away practice on all these tracks. They've taken away, you know, and limited the amount of seat time that these guys can get. And so it's not like it was back in the day where, you know, your team could rent out a track and you can go and sit there and, and learn it. You, you, have to, you have to do something. And if the, the simulator is your best opportunity, of course you're going to sit there. And, you know, if it's your first time going to – to Michigan or it's your first time going to Texas or, you know, whatever track it is. And that's the closest real life, um, you know, the closest to being in an actual race car that you can get. These guys are going to spend the seat time and try to learn what they can. But, you know, I agree with you. There's, there's nothing like actual time on the track to learn, you know, the quickest way around and, and how your car is going to handle what, what I'm surprised about, um, Jeff and Steve, is that they didn't go to Road America because I thought that would have been an ideal track for them to go to. It would have been high speed, wide passing, and some really tight turns. 
and I thought that would have been an option. I thought, you know, that it wasn't on the list. I was surprised. But, I mean, they're mixing it up, and they're doing something to at least uh, in a positive side for IndyCar racing, I want to say, to draw people to watching them. And I think, you know, I mean, we're a little bit negative about it because we've been spoiled all these years. And now we're opening up. I'm watching some of it. And I think seeing the youth being a part of it and, you know, knowing that they can compete with some of these guys too, you know, I mean, that's the other thing. You know, that to me, if I was a young kid on a video game playing hours of videos and competing and turning lap times, what they're doing as race drivers, professional race drivers, that would light a fuse for me to be a part of it and be more interested in it and take, uh, you know, another avenue maybe into the sport. Well, yeah, I, I think I think the iRacing thing is a very good thing for what what's going on right now. Um, I think it'll be interesting interesting to see how the different race series treat it. I think NASCAR had a very good thing going with some of these other drivers being able to race into it and giving them giving them some variety to it. But now with, with them pulling back on it, I agree with Dennis Michelson, who we talked about in the first hour. I think it does take a little bit away from it. Let's have it a little more wide open. Let's have some fun with this. Not Don't always try and pull back and, and paint people and paint things in the corners. You know, let, let the, have some fun with it. And I think you're seeing that with IndyCar a little bit. You know, where's Ryan Hunter Ray? Well, he doesn't have a setup. He's not into it. So, you know, get get the Andretti B driver, you know, into it. Let them race. And let's add, you know, and I think it's, I think it's a little more of a positive. And then racing at Michigan today, it'll be interesting to see how they do that, uh, how how that that carries about. Because, you know, having what what happened at Bristol is a negative for NASCAR. You can't, you know, if 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 you, you just all the yellow flags and and the negative press was was I was really surprised on that, and it was it was not a good show, and. You know, so we'll we'll see what happens with the next with the, with the next race. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking more with uh, Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com, and we're actually talking about Netflix. Surprisingly, a lot of good racing uh, series and racing options for the fan on Netflix. So when we come back, we're going to talk some Formula One, the Drive Sur- Drive to Survive series on Netflix, and more coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. <laughs> Final Inspection Show, Steve Zotke, along with the Polish Pipe, I'm Jeff Rolowski, and joining us on the Great Midwest Paint Hotline, it is Eddie Lapine. And Eddie, I know you, you're you a big uh, fan of this show on Netflix. That, of course, is the Formula One drive Through Survive series. And kind of walk us through uh, that series, please. Well, I've watched the, uh, <laughs> the new last year's they did behind the scenes of Formula One last year, basically. And I've watched it four times now, and it's ten episodes of certain races throughout the year last year with behind the scenes with Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, Renault, Haas. 
it's it's an amazing uh, show. I, I think they deserve an award for the show. I think what they've done with it, Formula One, and from what I've heard last year, from the year before when they did the show, just the interest that it brought to people that I've talked to on the street that never, I mean, they didn't know anything about Formula One, and they watched that show, and they were just, they were just totally impressed with the show and how hard it is to be a Formula One driver and the pressure. That's yeah, and you know, for those for those who may not be in i racing and that, there is a lot of stuff out there to watch, and uh, that is certainly one of them. Uh, we had David Hobbs on last week, and we were talking a bit about the uh, the uh, documentary A Life of Speed, the Juan Manuel Fangio story, which is very interesting. Of course, we've had Willie T. Ribs on the show too a couple weeks before that, and his uh, documentary uh, Uppity which is available on Netflix, and there's other ones that are out there. There's the 24-Hour War, which is by the same group, uh, Nate Adams and Adam Carolla, which is really good. There's also a Carol Shelby uh, documentary that's out there that is really, really good. I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard really good feedback on that. Is there anything uh, that I'm missing between uh, you and Jeff? I think, I think you pretty uh, much nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, I haven't watched uh, too many of those yet. I uh, wasted about six or seven hours watching that Tiger King garbage uh, <laughs> that I wish I could get those hours back. But, um, but yeah, well, thanks, no, I've got to dive that into recommendation, those. Jeff. Thanks, thanks for that recommendation. I, I, I won't watch The Lion King. Yeah, I w- you know, that Tiger King show, you know, is for like. It's it's way overrated, and if this wasn't year four or week four, it seems like year four of this whole quarantine garbage, uh, I don't think it would have got nearly the play that it's getting. But, uh, you know, my opinion, don't waste your time. And, and it was, it, I think that, uh, I think there is a lot, and you nailed it with, you know, Adam Carolla and that uppity with Willie T. Ribs, that was, I watched that a couple times. It, it really was good. Definitely, they did a great job with that documentary. Yeah, and there's, uh, well, yeah, with my, my review of the Tiger King, yeah, it is the, the proverbial uh, train wreck. Um, it's something, I guess, I guess you, if you want to be, the cool person and social media know what's going on in the world, watch it. But yeah, you definitely feel like you have to take a shower after watching it. Uh, but getting back to racing documentaries. Yeah. Uppity. I really enjoyed. Uh, and then also, uh, there are a couple older ones that are out there. And I think Eddie, you saw this one on Frank Williams, which is really interesting, uh, from formula one. Yeah, definitely. That's another one that, you know, you really, see the behind the scenes and what Frank has gone through over the years, you know, to be where he is today, 50 years later and still in the sport with his daughter running the show. Yeah. And then there's uh, of course the movies themselves and, you know, of course, Ford versus Ferrari, which was, I thought a very good movie. And uh, there's just a lot of Grand Prix, which I think is going to be on the TCM channel. 
uh, this week. Uh, look that up from 1966, which I think from a cinematography point of view, John Frankenheimer, one of my favorite directors of all time, who also did the movie Ronin and, and others. Uh, I just love that movie. And uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. Just and go on YouTube, too. I mean, there's all, almost all the old races are out there. I'm surprised that every every week there seems to be new stuff uh, on 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 YouTube, uh, whether it's old NASCAR races, old kart, IndyCar races, and that, a lot of neat stuff out there, and documentaries, uh, too, uh, on there, too. So well, what's the latest thing, you know, real quickly, before we leave, uh, Jeff, what's the latest thing you've watched? Um, probably the Tiger King. Uh, you know, I gave you a list of movies that I watched last week. I haven't really watched uh, too many movies I haven't seen. I've watched a bunch of the Harry Potters again and all that other kind of, oh. you know, obviously Jaws, which I've seen 8,000 times, but uh, getting, no, nothing new. Getting off, uh, getting off of racing. I know Jeff and I both saw Parasite. Loved it. Phenomenal. Fantastic! I'm, I was blown away how good it was. So, Eddie, make sure you see Parasite, and uh, we certainly appreciate you coming on the show, Eddie. We we'll look forward to chatting with you again. I I can't wait to uh, be up and running instead of canceling flights right now. Oh, I know. Very frustrating. I, I just wiped out all my uh, motel reservations in uh, Indianapolis for May. So, I'd like to thank. Uh, Everyone who's been on the show, of course, Dennis Michelson, Jeff Orlowski, thank you for joining us, Eddie Lapine, and also John Salterstall and his book. Make sure you check it out. Nikki Lauda, his competition history. Go to everopublishing.com, uh, where it is a really, really neat book. And also Larry Janicek for his questions. And congratulations on stumping me today. So you've been listening to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by Great Lakes Dragway and Union Grove. We'll talk to you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.